The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fighting through from Dunkirk to Hamburg, Podcast 7. The D-Day Diary of Company Sergeant Major Douglas Gray, Part 2. More great previously unpublished history. I'm Paul Cheel, son of Bill Cheel, whose World War II memoirs have been published by Pen and Sword in Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg. This episode, I'm presenting part two of the excellent Normandy Diary of Company Sergeant Major Douglas Gray, 7th Green Howards. If you haven't heard part one yet, I would recommend you listen to that first. You might also like to visit the show notes for the podcast at fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk. Loads of pics and other interesting background information. I'm going to get stuck into the episode very quickly this time, but before I go on, I'll just give you a couple of bits of feedback I've had. Um, Just my appreciation for your appreciation, really. This one came quite a while back, actually, from John, and he said, I have to tell you how much I appreciate the podcasts. My eyes are quite poor, so I don't read, but you have read the stories of your father and his fellow soldiers wonderfully well. Thank you very much. My father was in the war as well, American, and I wish I had recounts of the events of that day from his eyes and ears. Well done. And here's another one from Andy. I wanted to let you know just how much I've enjoyed listening to your excellent podcasts. The stuff about your dad and his comrades and contemporaries has really made me think of how I would have coped being put in the life and death situations he went through. You've helped me to realise just what a huge debt of gratitude we all owe to your dad's generation. Just ordinary people doing extraordinary things in extraordinary times. Well, thank you to both you gents. Um, I do appreciate getting feedback, not because it sort of bolsters my ego, but um, I hope it uh, feeds into the search engine results and it encourages other people to discover the podcasts and get the same enjoyment as you do out of them. So uh, once again, thank you very much and uh, on with the podcast. So, part one of the diary ended with the action on 2nd of August, 1944, which led to Sergeant Gray winning the military medal. His battalion, the 7th Green Howards, had landed on Gold Beach on D-Day on 6th of June, 
and advanced some distance into the French countryside with a great deal of fighting. I'll just remind you of the action on that last day of the previous podcast episode. 7th August 44. Hello, an attack coming off. Moved out 1400 hours and led the column to the start point. We're attacking high feature of Amaye-sur-Seille, about 5 kilometres away. Our carriers are to advance with tanks and fire everything we have in support while the boys come up with a main attack. Phew, what a to-do. We got there okay and into position when Jerry opens up with all he's got. Spandaus and mortars, dozens of them, firing at us at point-blank range. Bill gets it, a bullet in his shoulder and out of his back. Joe Garbutt did a marvellous show getting him out under very heavy fire on his motorbike. D Company arrived and we're pinned down for quite a time but we finally won through with a final bag of 117 prisoners including six officers and quite a number of Spandaus and mortars captured. My pal Ike then took up positions on the left looking north and were subject to heavy fire all night. 3rd of August 1944 My section moved over to A Company and took up positions with their forward platoon and again spent another uncomfortable day. Pinkney relieves us at night and we pull back about 400 yards for a rest under the bloody self-propelled guns. 4th of August Very noisy night but I think that he's pulled back a bit this morning. One or two prisoners rolled in last night, including a Jerry Warrant officer who was looking for his brother, who was killed aged 16. Another move to within a mile and a half from VA Bocage, but no opposition. It appears that the troops on our left have advanced in front of us and cut us out of it now. Good show, so we're sitting tight now. But for how long? Listeners, um... This is a bit of an anticlimax because of the Green Howards have effectively moved to VA Bocage to find it already occupied by another British force. But at least another objective has been taken now. 5th of August, Saturday. A chance to get cleaned up a bit. Went to VA Bocage on a motorcycle and had a look round. What a bloody mess after the bombers had been in there on 30th of June. Put Garbutt in for the DCM, and he certainly deserved it. 6th of August. Very dull morning, still resting. General Horrocks came and spouted to us this afternoon, and to put his words in a nutshell, he said, Good show, 50 Division. You're going in again, the bee. Had another chicken for dinner tonight, the same as last night. Was pretty good. 7th of August. Cleaning up carriers and all weapons. News getting better on the Yanks sector. I was still pushing on slowly. Believe we're for the line again tomorrow. 8th of August. Moved out 0900 hours to Aune de Fontaine, about 6 or 7 miles south of VA Bocage, prior to moving in. Country getting very hilly and close again. Looks as if he's going to pull back and make a stand south and east of the River Orne. Fortresses were in full strength today, 
and three shot down. Things seemed to be slowing down to more or less static again. Wish he'd bloody well pack in. Listeners, at this point I'm just going to read you a brief extract from one of the history books, um, The Story of the Green Howards by Captain W.A.T. Singe. At this stage of the game, his commentary on the Green Howards is as follows. And so practically two months from the day on which they landed on the beaches, the Green Howards completed the first stage of the long journey, which was to take them across France and Belgium into Holland. There had been two months of hard and bitter fighting in most difficult country. The frontline infantry soldier had had to endure for most of this time constant shelling and mortaring in country where the enemy was seldom visible. When he moved at all, either on patrol or often within his own lines, death from the concealed sniper was always round the corner. It's no wonder that those who survived the period were tired and feeling the strain. On the occasions when they really got to grips with the enemy, the Green Howards had acquitted themselves like heroes and proved their superiority as man to man. Well, listeners, I think that's a a very deserving tribute to all the Green Howards and um, we can see exactly what was expressed as a sentiment in that piece of writing in exactly what Sergeant Grey and his comrades had to go through. And we'll now find that there's just more of it starting 9th of August 1944, Wednesday. The 43rd Division took Mount Pinson and we move into assembly area just in rear prior to division attack. 151 Brigade go in first and reach objective. Plenty of prisoners but casualties very heavy. Some of the nastiest sights I've seen yet. We reach the start line okay and start to move forward. Christ, but it's absolute hell. They're bringing them out by the carrier loads. Prisoners coming in, but they should shoot the bastards. Just pulled up hedgeside when, wham, direct hit on Redshaw's carrier and the whole bloody lot goes up in flames. Absolute suicide. Three wounded and two bomb happy. Went back and recovered a motorbike that had been left and bloody nearly stopped one, but nabbed a jerry up with a wireless on his back. Pulled across other side of the road, but no better. Battalion getting hammered to hell. Casualties 106 so far. 34 left in A Company, and C Company missing. Shelling getting worse, but we still go on. Everybody absolutely done for. Us and what's left of the battalion dig in, and try and stop him. Jerry tanks sniping the lads with solid shots. Death everywhere, and what a smell. Poor devils lying all over the place, with arms and legs blown off. But we get them in, though it was suicide to try it. Worst action we've ever been in. What a night from shelling, more casualties. But hell, we're to move forward again and take up positions 400 yards up. East York's put in an attack on our right, which eases things up a bit for us. He's using very heavy artillery now, and it's deadly. Wish we could hear some wireless news. Went forward on foot with Captain Murray, and nearly had it again. 
I wish I could stop a piece, because he's enough to drive anybody mad. Fell asleep at night, absolutely dead beat. 11th of August. Moving forward again. They must be mad, but again we reach objective, but with very few casualties this time. And what a position. It's got a command view for miles, so our artillery observation post should be able to do something now. It's quietened down a bit, it's quietened down a bit, but there's a Spandau git sniping us. Finally get him and seven more. About half an hour after these had been captured, he lets all hell loose on the place. Wilson W. wounded. They must think that we're machines. My lads are absolutely in, and nearly all slap happy. But I've got to seem cheerful myself to keep them going, although I've had it. Got dug in and beat all records doing it, hard as iron, but we got down in about two hours as he was shelling us to hell and still is. One of my drivers wounded. Hope somebody takes over in the morning or else I won't be able to hold my blokes. They'll be off. They've had it. Sent Pidge back bomb happy. 12th of August, Saturday. Shelled us to buggery last night. Corporate Ludham and Tinsley hit. Ike comes up to relieve us this morning and from where we are now I can see him getting shelled to hell. Hope his luck holds. The full platoon moved up onto ridge in front of Saint-Pierre-Lavier and fired everything we had into the village. My section alone fired 97 Bren mags, 72 mortar bombs and 15 Piat. Just after we'd pulled back into our positions so the artillery could have a go, which they didn't, 28 prisoners walked in, leaving 13 wounded in the village. It was a good shoot and it heartened the lads a bit. Shelling not quite so bad. 13th of August, Sunday. Battalion moves into Saint-Pierre. Plenty of Jerry dead. My section go out on recce, and I lose a carrier. Had to lift 84 telemines to get back by road, but met little opposition. Good job. Pulled back into platoon positions. RAF are bombing him to hell now. 14th of August. Brigadier sends his congratulations to the carrier platoon for the good work and information that we got back. Brigade pulls out to be behind Mont Pounson. Understand that we're to be pursuit troops now. Busy cleaning ourselves and equipment. 15th of August. Feel better now after a full night's sleep. We'll get a few letters written now. Understand that the Yanks and Canadians have joined up at Falaise. Good show. That means about 300,000 trapped. Oh, nearly forgot. We captured a Mark IV special tank on Sunday, in perfect order. But the divisional commander claimed it after we'd salvaged it. The bastard. 16th of August. Cleaning equipment and getting ready for our new role. Rather looking forward to it and it'll be a change from the static warfare. 18th of August. Pulled out and passed start point at 10.20 hours. First stop, approximately 8 miles south of Athiste de Lorne. Haven't seen many British troops round this way, and the population overjoyed to see us. Pulled into an orchard for the night. Covered 25 miles. 
Nuffy and a bottle of beer up at night. 19th of August. Moved about three miles further on. We can't get cracking, as Jerry has blown the bridge at Poutange Ponte Cripin, which is holding us up, but that suits me. News is very good. Farm near us, and we've been talking to the civvies. They say Jerry left about 36 hours ago, and the people are very distressed, as he shanghaied two of their daughters, one aged 16 and the other 17 and seriously abused the two that are on the farm now. 20th of August, Sunday, moved forward to Honorine, approximately 27 miles. The people in these areas have been a little bit more fortunate than those in the original beachhead, as they haven't had the static warfare. Still, as it is, the RAF have been taking very heavy toll of his vehicles and tanks, along this road, and the population are more than glad to see us. This is certainly a change to what we've been doing. Pulled into area approximately 1800 hours. People bringing out drinks, etc. Prepare to pull out again in three hours. 21st of August. What a hell of a drive. Started to rain just as we pulled out, and as black as hell. Couldn't see a damn thing and had 17 miles to do. Luftwaffe dropped flares and started bombing, but the flares helped us a lot. Thousands of vehicles on the road. Fires going all around in the area of the pocket, and although it was dark, you could see the dark shapes of knocked-out vehicles all along the route. Passed through Patange, bridges had been blown, but barely bridge erected. Pulled into dispersal area, about 01.30 this morning, soaked and tired, but slept all night on a gas cape. 22nd of August. Rained like hell all day. Smashed up an old jerry wagon and got a bit of a fire going to try and dry things out a bit. 23rd of August. Moved forward again about 27 miles to Gasset. Stacks of his transport knocked out especially in the area of Argentin, which has been knocked to hell by our bombers and artillery. Plenty of stuff rolling forward. Collected one or two prisoners. 24th of August. Moving to the area near Rugler, where we expect to contact Jerry. About 30 miles. On arrival, carriers immediately went out on recce patrol, which proved very successful. I met up with about a dozen Mwakwi, French resistance, and attached them to my section, making quite a formidable force. First British troops in the area, and the people absolutely loaded us with flowers, wine, eggs and kisses. Gosh, it was great. Went swanning around the woods and lanes, and collared a jerry paratrooper, who was forcing an old man with his rifle, to take him in his cart and my chief Makui knocked ten bells out of him smashed my elbow but not much we picked up two Russian political prisoners and they were in a terrible state but we soon filled them up with bully fired on two more jerrys but they got away brought my Makui back to camp and gave them a right royal feed 25th of August Pouring with rain. Stayed in the area of Rugler for maintenance 
went out in the afternoon in a carrier to Le Bois, which we visited yesterday, and sat drinking champagne cider with a farmer. Good people, these. My arm's very sore this afternoon. I could write pages on our reception, but I haven't got the time. 26th of August. Ravelli, 0430, pulled out at 0700. Going to push on today to Mantes and over the Seine. Doing a good speed on this run, and reached our destination after about three hours, approximately 35 miles. Good going. Again, a good reception. Bedded down in an orchard. 27th of August, Sunday. Rain, thunder and lightning like hell last night. A thunderbolt landed in the B Company area, killing two of the lads. We're staying here today, and a bloody good job too, as we're soaked, and it's still raining. 28th of August. Still raining, and no sign of a move today, as the bridge isn't quite finished yet. Hello, orders group 1500 hours. Wonder what's on this time. Moving 2200 hours across the river. 29th of August. Not too bad last night for a night drive, but pouring with rain. The Royal Engineers have made a smashing job of shoving a bridge across about 400 yards. Guards armoured pouring over at the same time. Crossed the river at Vernon and pulled in about 02.30 hours this morning. Bedded down. A load of reinforcements came today from the Dukes. They're being disbanded after getting smashed up. Nearly all the lads I knew had it. 30th of August. Pulled out and moved forward another 20-odd miles to Guissot. Weather bloody awful. Marvellous welcome from the civvies and les mademoiselles. Oh la la. Listeners, just to keep you in sync with where the troops have got to, uh, Guissot is a small town about 46 miles northwest of Paris. But there's no plan to enter Paris. The troops are Netherlands-bound and then, of course, on to Germany. Pulled into a wood for the night, Ike and I went down on a motorcycle, scrounging for eggs, and liberated a village on our own. Cognac, Calvados, kisses, and we met a French girl whose sister was a schoolmistress at Swanage. 31st of August. Pulled out at 0800 hours and did another 15 miles by tiffin time in the direction of Beauvais. Well, listeners, and so it went on with more of the same daily grind. But at this point, Doug stopped writing his diary. There is more for me to say, though. I've been reading about the battalion's exploits in the history books and in the book I mentioned earlier, W.A.T. Singe, Story of the Green Howards, it mentions that around Albert, about 100 miles north of Paris, the battalion had been ambushing the enemy alongside a track for several hours. And the book entry reads, Later on, Captain Murray, with Sergeant D.E. Gray and others, went forward down the track. They met a German patrol of seven men at point-blank range and drove them back into a wood, which was then bombarded with mortar and piet bombs. On reconnoitring the wood next morning, they found between 30 and 40 vehicles packed head to tail and all burnt out, with many signs of a panicky retreat. During the whole of these operations, which lasted for more than four hours, Captain Murray displayed great powers of leadership, 
and a very high standard of personal gallantry. He was a great inspiration to his men, who during the night inflicted many casualties on the enemy and much destruction to his vehicles. The enemy were undoubtedly in considerable strength and in position for his courage and leadership Captain Murray was awarded the Military Cross. So there you go, listeners. Doug is twice mentioned in the history books for his brave exploits. Anyway, as I say, the diary entries stopped until 2nd of November 1944, when he reopened it to make one last entry. And it's rather a sad one. Ike killed near Nijmegen Bridge, Netherlands. So long, pal. And this is the last entry in the diary. I'm finding the death of Doug's last pal Ike very sad indeed. To think they went through all they did together with good pals and comrades getting picked off one by one till there was only the two of the originals left. That's so tragic. It's even worse when you contemplate that the Green Howards were actually withdrawn from battle at Nijmegen. And that's how the Green Howard's War ended. But before I tell you more about that, I just want to read an extract from the Singe book. Um, It's about how the 7th Battalion... Well, it's how Ike was killed, basically. The 7th Battalion, at some point, was occupying a position astride an unfinished autobahn from... Arnhem to Nijmegen and across the road was a concrete bridge and the enemy were using it as an observation post. It was a strong position, mined and wired, surrounded by 300 yards of flat, open country. Repeated attempts had been made by various battalions to destroy this point, but without success. The 7th Battalion, Green Howards, made an attempt to capture this bridge. One platoon succeeded in reaching the bridge, but its commander was captured and the platoon sergeant was killed. Of course, that was Ike Rawson. The remainder of the platoon, being unable to get through the defensive wire, was subjected to severe and accurate shooting at point-blank range and were forced to withdraw. The light had, by this time, become too strong and the attack failed. Captain Rabbage and his two stretcher bearers were both captured, but the German officer in command of the post, with a courtesy seldom encountered, sent back the stretcher bearers with the body of Sergeant Rawson to the Green Howard lines. How good is that? It's interesting that uh, for all the atrocities we hear that the enemy committed during the war, uh, there were a lot of examples of humanitarian gestures and they came from both sides. I keep coming across examples in my readings and I think one of these days I'll do a podcast dedicated just to that subject alone. I know this podcast's been about Sergeant Gray's diaries but uh, in a way it's also been about the War of the Green Howards because it so well reflects what the Green Howards did Uh, landing on D-Day and all the serious fighting that went on thereafter. So uh, as a concluding 
narrative uh, to the events, I'm just going to mention what, again, the story of the Green Howards, 1939-45, to says about how the Green Howards War ended. At 8pm on November the 28th, 1944, the Green Howards left Nijmegen and, travelling by way of a lost, arrived at Roulet's during the afternoon of the 29th. Here they were billeted in the houses of a very friendly population. It was now generally known that this was the end of the fighting career of the 50th Division. It had been decided that the 21st Army Group should be reduced by one division, and the choice fell on the 50th Division. In a letter to the divisional commander, Field Marshal Montgomery said that it was unthinkable that a division with such a fine record should lose its identity, and therefore it would become, for the time being, a training division stationed at home. Well, there are plenty of books, if anybody wants to read more about the Green Howards. Um, Pen and Sword certainly have a few, and at some point I'll be recommending one or two. Um, But for now, we leave it there. Well, I think that's the right time to end this episode, but uh, I would like to end on a positive note. So this is what I'm going to do. I want to read out the names of all these comrades mentioned in this very precious diary, followed by something a little more upbeat. So I hope you listen to the end and enjoy a couple more anecdotes with me. But right now, here's the list of comrades. They may have been killed, wounded, or even survived but they're all brave heroes in our eyes. Unfortunately, we don't know every detail of their names and ranks, but nonetheless, let's call this a minute's silence in their honour. Here goes. Alan. Bell. Bill Bolton. Boys. Tiny Butler. Corporal Colwell, Ford, Fred, Joe Garbutt, Company Sergeant Major Douglas Gray, General Horrocks, Major Hudson, Jock the Dental Officer, Harry Lambert, Ted Lothorpe, Corporal Ludham, Captain Mason, Captain W. Murray William Parkinson Pidge Pinkney Sergeant Isaac Rawson Redshaw Fred Senior Smurfield Dick Stavely Johnny Stoneman Tinsley Oscar Topham Noel Walker Don Walkington War Whittam Williamson Dr. W. Wilson Alfie Wright
Okay, I'd like to think we've done those soldiers proud with that. Now to finish off and to raise everyone's mood, I have a couple of very funny stories from Doug's son, who said, My dad was born and raised in Bridlington, East Yorkshire, England, as was I. He was fiercely proud of his hometown and county. So sometime in the 1970s, I think, the then government decided to abolish East Yorkshire, along with other ancient counties, and call it North Humberside. This was not taken lightly by the locals, my dad included. I think there was a nickname for fighting units from the same locale formed during the run-up to the war that imbued friendship, camaraderie and determination. Afraid I can't bring it to mind at the moment, but it bored ill for the postal services. They were the first to write to Dad at his new address. We're pleased to tell you, they wrote, that your new address is bloody blah Bridlington, North Humberside. I saw him take a look at the letter, tear it in half and throw it to one side with the expletive, it effing well isn't. This was the first, perhaps the only time, I can remember him swearing. From that day forward, if a letter came addressed to North Humberside, he would put it aside and not open it for a couple of days. I was happy that he was still alive when the county boundaries were reinstated. Well, Doug, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Absolute classic. And here's another one from you. My sister's nine-year-old grandson, Jack, took part in a school assembly to commemorate Remembrance Day. She told me Jack's assembly was lovely. All the children in his class took part in a summary of World War II and the meaning of Remembrance Day. They all had lines to say. When it came to little Jack's turn, he proudly held up the photo of Dad leading the Freedom March and told everyone this was his great-granddad and he fought all over the world and won some medals. He was beaming from ear to ear throughout. Dad would have been so chuffed to bits with him. Well, thank you for that one as well, Doug. How sweet is that? By the way, listeners, if you're wondering what the Freedom March was, you'll see a photograph of Doug leading the Freedom March in 1947 on the uh, fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk website. Go and look at the show notes. Right, um, next episodes. Incredibly, while all that shelling was going on, Doug also found time to write some amazing D-Day poetry to which I'm dedicating a third episode all to itself. It's uh, only a short one, but I think it deserves its own presentation. Um, I don't normally go for poetry much, personally, but uh, this is honest soldierly stuff, and it's got a style of its own, um, with no small amount of humour too, so it's hugely entertaining, and I recommend everyone to give it a go. Uh, after that, it'll be all guns blazing again with Dunkirk, the podcast, and two exceptional previously unpublished memoirs of that period, written by an army major and a ship's captain, coming up in just a few weeks. Um, wow, is all I can say, with two capital Ws, or even Booyah, if you're listening in America. Um, but for more information on everything, including photos, blog, links, etc., um, go to fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk um, 
One more thing. Uh, I did do a few live broadcasts recently in France at Dunkirk, Gold Beach and Bayer Cemetery. If you'd like to see them, take a look at my Twitter feed, at Paul Cheel, and you'll see some links to them. Um, They'll also be up on the website shortly. Keep subscribed, my friends, and uh, don't forget the next and final episode in this series is Doug's Poems, and here's an extract just to whet your appetites. A long time we've waited for D-Day. All preliminary work has been done. And once more the task is more than plain. Clear Europe and banish the Hun. The bow of the boat is pointing due south. Our morale is high, you can bet. Though we've done it before, and everyone knows the kind of reception we'll get. For now, I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now. Oh, just a minute, there's a PS. I've decided there may well be a PS on all the podcasts from now on because there's always some little tidbit of information that uh, you might find useful. This is pertaining to the bet that Doug made in uh, episode one where he said he made a bet with Woy that Paris won't have fallen by 8th of October 1944. Uh, Five shillings he bet. Well, I've been doing a little bit of research and I've discovered that the German garrison surrendered Paris on the 25th of August 1944. So, actually, Doug lost his bet and uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if he ever did pay the five bob to uh, to Woy. We'll probably never know. Um just one final little thought. If you ever got flummoxed by some of the um, jargon that Doug used in his diary, well, you can join me in the queue because uh, I did do quite a lot of research, in fact, including speaking to his son to find out what some of the words meant, like uh, shufty kite. Um, and I worked that one out for my for myself in the end because in, in England, anyway, uh, the word shufty means to have a have a look or have a sneaky look and a kite was also slang for an aeroplane so a shufty kite was actually a reconnaissance plane um now there were loads of other words uh and if you look on the show notes on fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk then you'll see a little glossary of terms which may help you out with one or two of them so uh This is me definitely saying, till next time, bye-bye now.